2: It's October 1986, the month of Neighbours launching in the UK, although that's not why we're here. England are setting off to Australia for the ashes against the old foe. The tourists had lost eight of their last 11 test matches, winning none. Out of form, that's putting it mildly. As the great cricketing bible Wisden put it, they flew from Heathrow carrying the prayers rather than the aspirations of their countrymen.
0: Wisden described it as the battle for the wooden spoon of test cricket.
3: Everybody was kind of flawed.
0: Two teams that were nowhere near as good as they had been historically. It
3: was the nadir. It was the, It really was the pits. the
2: pits. On tour as captain for the first time, Mike Gatting.
4: Forget all the past, because that wasn't me. And, you know, we hadn't done well as England.
2: Now I'm in charge. I really was comfortable. I really was comfortable. As was I, setting out on my gap year, on tour myself, living the dream. As an 18-year-old, I was, I was adventurous. I went away for a year. I was energetic. I was ambitious. I was very curious, and I was really looking forward to something completely different for 11 and a half months, which I knew would coincide with some cricket watching. So here we go. I appear to have the bleached blonde look. This is the 80s. I'm wearing shorts that give budgie smugglers a bad name, one of those visors that American ladies tend to wear around the golf course, and my money is going on beer rather than food. And the soundtrack. Oh yes, it's 1986. It's on a Sony Walkman. Kids, ask your parents. Life was good. And you know what's even better? I was heading down under to see our brave boys, in tip-top condition, fully primed to give the old enemy a thrashing, right? Right. The build-up to the first test was appalling uh, in many, many ways. The recognisable voice of former England captain David Gower, one of 16 players I was putting my faith in to beat the Aussies, though I'm sensing already that faith may be misplaced.
5: When you 've got a, a month or so to prepare for the start of something as vitally important as an ashes series I suppose for some of us there's a feeling well you just you know, peak at the right time um, you know, just get going you know, nicely peak at the right time the, the great temptation in that era so here we are mid you know, mid 80s in that era wherever you went whether it's West Indies Australia you know, wherever you went the I suppose the view was you don't want to miss out on enjoying the country, enjoying the culture, uh, just enjoying the whole experience. So Australia being what it is, a very sociable country, great country, uh, a yeah, fantastic place to visit, then you know, for the first month or so, you just take advantage. You just act normally um, as if you were playing, say, country cricket at home. I was comfortable. The guys that I got playing in my
4: team were, in my mind, the guys I wanted on that trip they really were. And there were some young guys in there, there were some, some really experienced guys. And I wasn't actually thinking too much other than, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable, I really am. But, you know, sadly, all that melted away quite quickly in the first three or four weeks,
2: which was quite extraordinary. Melted away? Well, that's one way of putting it. Perhaps washed away by a tsunami of alcohol. We played lots
6: of, like, what they term country 11s. Like, we played against a Queensland country 11. Up at a place called um, Bundaberg.
2: Ah, Bundaberg. Thanks for the reminder, Gladstone Small. Bundaberg in Australia is even further
6: north where they grow sugar cane. And um, when they grow the rum, that's where they make rum.
2: Brilliant. So this is going to end well. Rums, not runs. Perfect prep for the first match of the tour.
5: We had to play, in those days, we had to play the country games as well as the state games. We were sent to Bundaberg, which is not necessarily unpleasant. It's not like being sent to Alcatraz or anything like that. Um, But we were sent to Bundaberg, which is the home of sugarcane, and sugarcane produces Bundaberg rum. And the night before this two day game, we were taken to the Salter Oval, where there was a reception from the local Bundabergians. Um, which involved a bit of poetry, involved a lot of Bundaberg rum, and um, there was apparently food, but I failed to notice that, apparently. So what happened was, I mean, this this is actually a recurrent theme through the last 40 years of my life, where I stood next to a fellow called Botham and said, my mate Bergie says that if you drink rum with dry ginger, you don't get pissed. And this was an experiment to prove one way or another what the validity of that statement was. So several hours later, we proved that actually, if you drink a lot of rum, however much dry ginger you mix in with it, you get incredibly pissed. And of course, drinking with Botham is never a good idea unless you drink at your own slow pace compared to his very, very thirsty pace.
7: He was a bit of a strange move on his behalf. He's normally reasonably sensible. It's uh, Ian Botham here, known to all of you lot as Beefy. He came, walked up to me and said, I challenge you. I said, challenge me to what? He said, rum. And uh, well, that's about the last sensible words that came out of his
5: mouth. So, yes, I confess, sadly, that I was escorted. No, 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 not, that's not the word at all. Dragged out of the of Oval back to the bus. There was well, a line of feet dragging, two feet being dragged across the gravel car park into the bus, where I didn't feel at all well.
7: Yeah, he was in a bit of a mess and he tried to get off the bus in the wrong town. Uh, I mean, it was... Uh, We had to sort
5: of tie him up, really. Uh, When we got back to the hotel, the resort hotel, this charming little town of Bundaberg, uh, Botham and Lamb uh, shoved me under a shower, (laughs) basically got me back to my room, shoved me under a shower and left me there. And at the appointed hour of 8.30, I think it was, that's the time for most meetings of a serious nature, uh, at 8.30 in the morning, we were... Uh, all up in front of the beak, up in front of the management, because the the previous evening's pep talk from Mike Gassing, uh, you know, from the captain, from the management, was, OK, we've had a bit of fun, blah, 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 etc. We've got the first game starting here. Let's start as we mean to go on. In other words, let's be professional about the art of playing Ashes cricket. Let's prepare to be in top nick by that first Test match. So this sort of performance from a senior player was completely, utterly totally the wrong thing which I have to hold my hand up confess and say I misjudged it. put it down to early nerves despite the experience of many many tours despite knowing Australia like the back of my hand, just put it down to nerves. it was just it was not a glorious moment.
8: I thought it was a Carlsberg tour. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I describe it when I talk about it Philip Dephratas, uh, ex- England cricketer.
2: In fairness, Bundaberg was a gentle easing into the tour and a match against a local side. But when things move up a level, matches against state opposition, the tourists are in for a shock.
8: It was, I mean, we were absolutely rubbish, we we couldn't win games. We were being batted everywhere.
6: for the Australian teams to play against the tourists and probably and to play against the England touring team it was a big ticket it was a big it was a big thing so hence in those before test games or even in between the test match games it was like a mini test match because those guys wanted to beat you up
2: and beat them up they did first queensland in brisbane five wicket defeat for the tourists south australia was actually an england win before an embarrassing display in perth in western australia and that was just on the pre-match night out (laughs) is that the
3: (laughs) we also had the america's cup going on now that's a rather esoteric sport i mean it is the sport of millionaires
2: that's the author and journalist francis
3: Edmonds. That was great because you know those guys were there for years. They they, they set up shop years in advance of the Americas Cup. Um, they've all they had their own club, the White Crusader Club. It was an open invitation for the England cricket team to be there.
0: We had the Americas Cup. We got invited. myself
2: Embry and Gower. Alan Lamb was there. Likewise, Ian Botham and Beefy also. And, it gets a bit ugly. And. Uh, <laughs> It ended up quite a a big
0: night, and then Beefy Beefy was sort of arm wrestling one of their crew that was had a bust leg or something. He was considerably bigger than me, but I'm a stubborn bugger. And uh, I thought, well, let's hang in there. And Both of them fell off their bar stools onto the coffee table, broke this massive big coffee table. And then this is when Beefy wanted a limo all over. He had a sponsored limousine. So we managed to pile him into the into the limo, take him back to the hotel. We went into the sort of tradesman's got him in that thing took him up. He said he wanted to go and see um, Laurie, our physio, Laurie Brown. So we took him through there, opened the door and sort of pushed him in. I think he may have spent the night with Laurie sort of drinking scotch at that stage. He didn't need any more.
7: Laurie um, used to treat me last, and we used to have a a nightcap, which was great. And uh, so he would always put me on last shift and then we'd have a nightcap and usually it's time to crash it and and get some kip anyway. So... Yeah, there was that kind
0: of tour. The following day, we were playing against Western Australia. And, uh, well, I think Gower got naught, I got naught, And then both of them went out to bat. But um, the 12 man had to go meet him sort of halfway because he had forgot to take his bat with him. So, listen, the guys had a bit of fun, and uh, you know, both off and on the field. And I think um, if you looked at our warm-up games, uh, they were shocking.
2: the Perth performance was shocking. England saved by rain, which couldn't wash away the fact that England were perhaps enjoying the culture, as David Gower so delightfully put it, a bit too much. All the while lying in wait for this table-crashing, heavy-drinking mob was Australia. A country famous for producing cricketers of a certain type. Hard, uncompromising, fearsome. They'd sell their granny for a wicket or a few extra runs. This is the land of Bradman, Lindwall, Lilly, Thompson, Marsh, the Chapels, a nation defined by its cricketers, a place unaccepting of defeat. A country intent on not just beating, but humiliating its visitors, sending them back to the mother country with their careers in ruins. Uh, not exactly. The Aussies had their own issues. Two series defeats to New Zealand, two drawn with India, and their captain, Alan Border, it seems, wasn't the natural leader.
1: My own captaincy leadership probably wasn't at its absolute best in that period. You know, I sort of entered into the job a little bit um, negative as far as my mindset was concerned. There was, you know, extenuating circumstances, but uh, no real excuse. So I was, I was a little bit, I don't know what's what, what would you call, you know, my leadership and captaincy. You know, was under under question. I went into the, the, the thing, you know, with that frame of mind, you know, one of my very good mates uh, had, had been, you know, resigned, uh, forced to a basically a situation where he just had enough and he resigns from the job. So I'm vice-captain, I hadn't really thought about captaincy to be honest, I, I was quite happy you know, being one of the boys doing my thing. We were playing against the West Indies, yeah, you could argue that they're one of the better sides ever, you know put on the field, so it was no disgrace losing to them, but you don't like getting beaten up all the time. And it was just you know, just one of those decisions where I thought, oh, hang on, I'm vice-captain, they're probably going to make me captain. Do I really want this? And it was sort of, I would wish I'd handled it all better, but I, I didn't. And uh, so it was sort of that negativity you know, pervaded through 85 and, and probably beyond for another at least 12 months. I think Australia were favourites by default.
0: I'm Adam Collins, cricket writer and broadcaster. They were favourites because England arrived in the country and had come off such a poor run of form at home, hadn't won a test match since the prehistoric era and suddenly rock up and get pounded at Brisbane in a first-class game. It would have been the same fate at the Wacker if not for the fact that rain intervened on the final day. And that last tour game was just before, three days before the first test at the Gabba.
2: But looking back through my diary, I'm reminded that even though England hadn't won a test match since the prehistoric age, not strictly true, Adam, but we get your drift, the team on paper, at least, wasn't a bad one. Senior players like Gower, Lamb, Gatting and one IT Botham, the spinning duo of Embry and Edmonds, and a crop of players on their first tour like Phil Defratis and Chris Broad. I think it was very significant that a lot of the senior players who had been on a tour before, certainly an Australian tour before, didn't seem to be taking the prelims terribly seriously, summed up really by the amount of alcohol and socialising that was done prior to the first Test match. Uh, and. Really, for us lesser lights, uh, younger first tourists, it was difficult to focus on those games when there wasn't really the focus from the senior players that I was expecting, and and some of the other guys was expecting. I thought I was having the great the greatest time of
8: my life. I thought this, I thought this was terrific. I, I just presume that's how tour is that that's what it's all about, uh, and I, you know there is there were there was, you know, part of me were thinking well you know i'm on tour with england this is quite serious but the other side figure this is great fun as well
0: <laughs> i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports
1: media and entertainment
2: My life in many ways, certainly my summer life, was shaped by cricket from the word go because my dad had started a club at university. Dad really was the driving force behind a club, which still goes 65 years later. Everyone wanted to play for him because he was very gregarious. It was great fun, and I think he would be... I'm sure he'd be incredibly proud, 30 years after his death, that five grandsons play for the team and loads of grandsons of people who started the club with him. And the ethos is the same, to enjoy yourself, to play to win, to make friends, to be sociable and, frankly, just to enjoy the magnificence of the, that is the game of cricket. In the build-up to the first Ashes Test in 1986, England were not magnificent. I mean, we were absolutely rubbish. We we couldn't win
6: games. We did have a rather fun time for that first month.
2: It all led to one of the most famous indictments of a cricket team ever committed to newsprint. We were written off by everybody at the start of that
7: test series, including the late man Johnson, who, Martin, and he, you know, we're talking broadsheet here and a good writer, not tabloid stuff, fish and ship wrappers. And he actually said uh, the only problem with this England side is they can't bat ball or field. Well, considering we actually held the Ashes at that stage as well, it was a bit of a damning article. So that probably certainly got me fired up.
5: So when he wrote, there are only three things this side cannot do, they cannot bat, they cannot bowl, they cannot field, um, actually it was a fair reflection in many, many ways of that first month of the tour because the scores in the state games had not been great. You know, The overall form of the team was certainly not great. One or two were, were performing. Uh, you know, there were certainly some people before it wasn't a complete. I mean, this is this is the thing about the pithy one-liner. You, know, it doesn't apply to everyone. You, know, if you analyse it in depth, then there are going to be people going, well, "That's not fair." You know, I just got eighty against you know, South Australia or something. But in general terms, you know, that side that squad was not looking as if it was going to compete particularly well when it came to Brisbane.
6: It was, you know, can't bat, can't ball, can't field because we, we were rubbish. We were totally rubbish, we, and mainly because we were having too good a time.
3: None of that matters if you're delivering on the field. None of that matters if you're delivering on the field. I mean, you think of the great Garfield Sobers, where everybody relishes those stories about, you know, Garfield. You know, he'd be, he'd be still out on the rum at four o'clock in the morning, and he'd have a hundred on the board by eleven o'clock. You know, like. The moment you're not delivering on the field, then the trouble starts. Being a fine
2: writer herself, Francis Edmonds could appreciate the line from Martin Johnson. Can't bat, can't bowl, can't field. It was cutting stuff. Martin Johnson and
5: I go back to my my first days at Leicester. He was an extraordinary correspondent for the Leicester Mercury. I was asked by Mike Turner at Leicester to see if I have a word with Martin about the tenor of his articles. Because we could have a mighty good game play really well maybe just lose by a run or so and it would sound like the most appalling disaster of all time and there'll be lots of good lines from martin very readable but not necessarily reflecting the fortunes of the club. Leicester City, so the same newspaper, could lose 8-0, and they were the most unlucky side in the world, whereas Martin was writing to entertain, and that's what he always did, and he wrote brilliantly. He was such a clever man with the words, and he was the master of the pithy one-liner. And I think the great thing about the quote, actually, was that some months later, when Mike Gatting's team had won the Test Series, had won the Perth Challenge, had won the, I think it was the Commonwealth Bank One Day Series, he had won everything, basically, Martin rewrote, right quote, wrong team.
2: Can't bat, can't bowl, can't field. Oh, and it appears you can add, can't get out of bed on time. I remember
0: also one story with Gat. We were playing in a one day at Melbourne.
2: Here's Alan Lamb and Captain
0: Mike Gatting again. Gat overslept. He must have gone. He had a big night. I did sleep rather well that night, I have to say. It wasn't a late one, but I did really sleep very, very well. All of a sudden, weekend, no-one saw him, you know. We started the game. No-one could get hold of him. Everyone sort of tried to find their room. They couldn't get through to the room because my phone was off the hook slightly because I hadn't put it back on. Eventually arrived, came running on the field, so you can imagine the stick we gave him, you know. David did the toss up. And it could have been an hour because we hadn't got a wicket or anything like this and Gat ran on the thing.
4: Sorry guys. No so sooner had I come on, they said, well you better have a bowl because your first change these two guys have been bowling for an hour. Yeah, give me the ball, please. And he bowled
0: and he bolted bounce and he got the guy out a fine leg or something like and we said, oh my god.
4: Much to Fozzy's disappointment, I think I bounced three guys out for some strange reason.
0: He was very sheepish about the whole thing, but it was quite funny. I mean we just took the piss. <laughs>
2: So as the first test loomed, I was working as a waiter, not in a cocktail bar, but in the Hyatt Kingsgate Hotel underneath the Coca-Cola sign in King's Cross, serving lunch, serving drinks, putting tables away, working till three in the morning and getting a lot of stick from my Aussie mates that England were about to be pummeled in the ashes.
4: There was a point where we got to the first test match the night before. That night before the first test match at the Gabba, we had a dinner and Beefy wanted to say
8: something and I went, oh dear. That moment I'll never, ever forget.
5: I've listened to a lot of both from team talks where he's just said, hang on a second, let's cut the crap. Let's just you know, leave it to me. I'll sort this out. And it hasn't always worked, to be fair, but that simple, bullish, confident approach to that evening you know, kind of lit the room up. So I thought I'd get this out of it. And all he did, he stood up, he said... He said, right, guys... He just stood up and he went... That's it.
8: The party is over now. Right, we've had fun. The real stuff starts now.
4: He said, right, he said that last month, he said, fellas, he said that was practice. He said, that's gone, we can't do anything about
5: that. Ian's view was, hang on a second. You know, whatever's happened this past month, forget about all that. Tomorrow, it's the ashes. This is table-thumping stuff, you know. Tomorrow, it's the ashes. Tomorrow... The real game begins. This is what we live for. We're gonna be good. Let's not worry about it. It's just gonna happen. Follow me.
6: And that that was it. And the mood, the mood in the camp changed. It was like, it was just bang. You just felt it straight away. You just felt that was a moment. Right, this is it guys. Let's switch on to playing proper cricket.
7: Look lads, it's very, very straightforward. Uh, You know, we've got to come out flying. We cannot give this game away. And that's basically the gist of everything that was said. Uh, some said it, and I was probably more Anglo-Saxon in the team meeting and left the subtle stuff to Gat as captain. Look, it's everyone loves beating Australia, but when you beat them at home, that's great. But I'll tell you now, to beat them away from home is a much better feeling. And that's one that we should try and achieve. You know, if you like, I was the lieutenant. Gat was obviously captain, and I was the senior pro and with probably the most experience against Australia at at that stage. So yeah, I thought it was the right thing to do, and I think it got everyone fired up.
4: Whatever 11 we take out there tomorrow, he said, I'm confident we can beat the Australians. So go to bed tonight, wake up in the morning, and be ready for a fight. And sat down. I can always
8: remember going really, really cold. I went cold. I think I was sat next to him, and I looked up at him, and I just I couldn't believe it. And it was like, wow, yeah, this is serious now. I'm actually feeling like it now how I felt back then, and it was just incredible.
4: Incredible, just incredible, just incredible. so and Mickey, we just looked at each other, and you could see certainly the young guys' faces. You just felt that was enough. My team talk was very very short, and that was it.
2: And it was just what was needed. And so the team that couldn't bat, bowl or field headed back to Queensland, to Brisbane, to the Gabba. The first test. Well, beefy was beefy, wasn't he? The way that both of them played through the 90s. He played his shots. You know, he was super confident. Allayed our
6: fears that these people are much better than us. The way that he reached 99 with an emphatic slap down the ground. This could be one of his best ever innings.
2: You know what the Aussies call it, don't you, the gabber? The gabatoire. So I put that in? The gabatoire. <laughs> Inside the tour, The Ashes is presented by Mark Pugach. Original music and sound design by Lee Sperry. Additional music, Dan Compton. Produced by Jonathan Overend at 94.19 for Audi.